During this Lenten season, what we've been doing, oh, by the way, my name is Ron Cool. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside. So welcome to all of you. Welcome to those of you who are here for the baptism. Welcome to those of you who are online. During Lent, we're looking at uh, what we're calling encounters with Jesus, especially in the Gospel of Mark. We're taking a look at what happens when people meet Jesus, what happens to them, what they experience, how that goes in their lives, but also, really more importantly, what Jesus says to them how Jesus encounters them and what Jesus might be saying to us as well this morning. Because sometimes when Jesus encountered people, he, he gave them words of comfort. Sometimes he gave them words of forgiveness. We saw that last week when Jesus said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Sometimes Jesus gives a word of encouragement. And sometimes, and this is what we're going to look at this morning, Jesus gives a word of confrontation. Jesus gives a word of challenge. Jesus says, I want you to stop. And think about what you're doing. He he does that this morning in actually two encounters that we're going to look at. They're both fairly brief. But he does it with the Pharisees. These were the people that perhaps more than any others, Jesus confronted. Jesus challenged. Jesus got in their face. And I want to suggest this morning, we're going to see he does that deliberately. He does that intentionally. Let me tell you a little bit about the Pharisees. They started off in a really good way. Because what they started off, what their passion was, and, and really what it remained through all of their lives was, was, it was that God wants his people to be holy. God wants his people to be separate. And that's certainly clear in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that God calls us to holiness. God calls us to be different than the world around us. God calls us not to fit in with everybody else. God calls us to be separate. God calls us to be distinct. And, and that became really important in Israel before Jesus was born. Because the Greco-Roman culture was coming in. First the Greeks and then the Romans. And when the Greco-Roman culture came in, when they came in, they didn't just come in with soldiers. They, they knew that if you were going to take over an area, it wasn't enough just to make sure that everybody was obedient to your laws. No, they came in with schools. They came in with entertainment. They came in with music, with plays. They, they came in with values. They came in with, with shopping malls. They came in with all this stuff. They brought all of this in. And, and they intended that every country they conquered would become back in their image. And the Pharisees said, no, we're not supposed to be that way. We're not supposed to be like everybody else. You know, they would have loved Paul's words in Romans 12 where Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. That was their heart. That was what they were talking about. We are not going to conform. We're not going to compromise. But everywhere they looked around, they saw people compromising. They started off good. <laughs> they started off with an aim that was important. They started off saying, God, we want to honor you. We want to honor your word. And we want to be obedient. But along the way, something happened. Some things got twisted. They got messed up. And they ended up turning things upside down. And Jesus wants to confront them. And what they did is something you and I are tempted to do all the time. What they did is something you and I were tempted to do all the time. And, and, and so Jesus sometimes needs to challenge us, and he challenged them. And, and like I say, I want to suggest this morning, and, and just watch in these stories, listen carefully, and you're going to see, I, I think Jesus goes out of his way to upset them. Jesus, we don't think of him that way very often. Most of us don't do that kind of thing, right? When grandpa and grandma are over and they don't approve of whatever it is, what do we do? We say, well, let's wait till grandpa and grandma leave. Let's not do this when they're around. Why upset the apple cart? Why? We, no, Jesus does the opposite. I think what we're going to see in these stories is Jesus goes out of his way to say, guys, I want to turn your world upside down. Guys, I want to get in your face. It's fascinating to see this 
part of Jesus. The stories, they're two short ones, are in Mark 2, 23 to 3, verse 6. And if you have Bibles, you can take them out now and turn to that passage. They take place, again, in northern Israel, uh, up by the Sea of Galilee, specifically in and around the village of Capernaum. At this point, uh, again, Jesus is, is popular with many people, but the Pharisees are, are uh, starting to get upset with him. They're starting to get frustrated with Jesus because he doesn't follow the laws right. He doesn't do the, the right sort of things. He doesn't hang with the right sort of people. And so Jesus is going to confront them, and specifically on one of the Ten Commandments. He confronts them uh, on the fourth commandment, both times. It's the fourth commandment. Some of you know that in the Old Testament, God in Exodus 20 gave ten commandments to his people. This is the fourth one. It's in Exodus 20, verses 8 and 9. God says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. The fourth commandment says, You know what? You need rest. God says, I, I want you to work hard for six days, but, but you need to have time for res- restoration. You need to have time for renewal. That's what the Sabbath was about. That's what Sabbath means. It means rest. It was, it was to be a day of rest. It was to be a day of renewal. And God says, for that reason, don't work. Set aside your labor on that day. And, and not just you, but your manservant and your maidservant and your uh, neighbor, all that stuff. Don't make anybody work. Not even your animals. Don't make, just take the day off. It's a great commandment. But the Pharisees, they turned it into something else. Take, take a look at that. First incident. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the green fields. And as the disciples walked along, they began to pick some of the heads of grain. It might have looked something like this. Along the path there, there would have been grain fields on either side. And, and, and in that day, the farmers were instructed in Israel to not, to not harvest the grain on the edges of the field, so that if people are taking a walk, they can, they can get some food. Or if people are in need, if they don't have enough food to eat, they can come and they can get some food. So Jesus and his disciples, they're out on a Sabbath day, taking a walk, no problem with that. But then they do something. They start to pick that grain. And, and Jesus knows. Jesus knows two things here. The first thing he knows is he knows this is not acceptable to the Pharisees. Jesus knows that they say that crosses the line into work because now you're harvesting. If you had grain at home, you can eat that. But now you're harvesting. You're going and you're picking it out. You're taking off the chaff and you're eating it. Don't, don't do that. They said that's, that's just confusing. This is the way we've got to be distinct. The Sabbath is our day of rest. And God said don't work. Jesus was raised in this area. He knew what the Pharisees wanted. He knew what the Pharisees believed. But that didn't stop him. In fact, I think it made him do it all the more because Jesus knows that the Pharisees are watching. In fact, again, I don't want to push it too hard, but if we open up the picture, you can imagine the Pharisees are there. In some ways, I don't know if the disciples were eating earlier, but I imagine Jesus is, is kind of saying to him, okay, guys, now, go get a snack. He knows that the disciples are watching, or the Pharisees are watching. He knows this is going to tick him off. I mean, he's set this thing up, and why does he do it? Because he deliberately wants to upset them. And it works. They get upset. Mark 2.24, the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Why are you breaking God's laws? Why are you setting a bad example for everybody else? In so many ways, Jesus, you have a good influence. But why are you doing this? Why are you telling them to do it? Come back to the answer, but let's look at the second incident at the second way that Jesus goes out of his way. 
It, it happens sometime shortly after that, this time in a synagogue. Mark 3, verse 1. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, all right? So this is what a synagogue would have looked like in that day. Uh, maybe this was the, how the synagogue in Capernaum looked. I think it was. Um, but you'll notice it wasn't just a place of worship. It was actually a community center. In some ways, this building would be kind of like a synagogue. Because during the week, they would have potlucks there. During the week, they would have school there. They would have all sorts of other activities. But then on the Sabbath, this was the place where they would come for worship, They would enter here, and you can see some of the places where they would sit or stand during worship along uh, those those places there, those benches, all right? Let's bring it in a little bit. On on a Sabbath, they would add in some other furniture just so that you get a feel for it. They would bring in two things in particular. They would bring in, first of all, the Torah scrolls. Those were not left in there all week. They'd bring in the Torah scrolls in an ark or in a a chest of some sort, and they would also uh, set up the bima. All right, which is that thing there. It's the pulpit, so to speak. It's the place where the person is going to read the scriptures. They're going to read that from the bima. That was the place where where someone would sit and and read the the word of God to everybody else. So Jesus is there. We'll put him here. There were other people there. I didn't take the time to put in a whole bunch of people, okay? Jesus is there, and, and Mark says, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. It's a guy who's got a deformity of some sort. His hand is, is shriveled. It's withered. It's, it's, it's not the way it's supposed to be. And, and it's probably been this way for quite some time. But we'll put that man over there. All right, again, let's, let's zoom it in a little bit and come up to this. Jesus is there. Other people are there. The man with the withered hand is there. And so are the Pharisees. Pharisees were there because this was their place. They were the ones who ran the services in the synagogue, and so it wasn't unusual for them to be there. But Mark says they were there with a very specific purpose. They were there to keep an eye on Jesus. They were there because they were concerned about Jesus. Some of them, the Pharisees, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Again, that would be work. It would be work to heal somebody, and and. And so they wanted to see this. We'll put the Pharisees there. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And and he invites him to the front. Again, Jesus is going out of his way, right? Jesus says, I want all of you to see this. Get up on the platform here with me, buddy. Get, Get in front of everybody. I want everybody to see this. And so the guy comes closer again. Let's zoom it in a little bit. Then Jesus asked them, and, 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 and you got a picture, and, and I think they would have been right behind Jesus. Jesus is still looking at the guy. We're told he turns in a minute. Jesus is still looking at the guy with the withered hand, but he's talking to the Pharisees who are behind him. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Jesus says, you guys are good at law, Right? You guys are good at law. Let's do this one. How about a big question? I I know you know how many steps I can take on the Sabbath. I know you know how much I can do with this on the Sabbath. I know you know all the details, but but let's just ask a really big question. Can can we bring life to somebody on the the Sabbath, or do we let them die? Do do we bring life, or do we... Well, see, and and that's why Jesus is put... Because he wasn't going to die. Jesus says, are we going to let him live on in his death, so to speak? She said, come on, what's your answer, guys? You're the experts on the law. You're the one who's so passionate. Am I going to break the law when I do this or not? 
and they can't answer. I mean, what are they going to say? No, no, it, it, you have to do evil. No, well, but do good, but not that way, Jesus. Because well, you've got to understand, though, you got to, and they would have had a long, just a simple answer, yes or no, which one can I do? Which one can I do? But they remained silent. And Jesus is mad. He looked around at them in anger. Okay, now he turns. And he's looking at them. But he doesn't say anything to them now. Deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, Mark says they were. Jesus was so frustrated and hurt and angry. that Their hearts were shriveled up more than the guy's hands. Their hearts were just so small, so lacking in love. Jesus said to the man, and again, in some ways I think he's now looking at the Pharisees, but he's, he's talking to the man. He says, stretch out your hand. And I would imagine Jesus turns back. The guy stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. It was an amazing thing. Again, notice a couple of things here, all right? Notice that Jesus not, did not need to do this on the Sabbath. It would have only been probably 10 hours till sundown. Had Jesus, I mean, this guy's hand had been withered for years. This didn't happen overnight. He was not, Jesus could have waited. He didn't need to do this on the Sabbath. He went out of his way to do this on the Sabbath. And he didn't need to do it this publicly. Could have snuck over to the guy during or before the service and pretended he was giving him a sucker or something and just said, hey, your hand's healed. And, And nobody would have noticed. But Jesus gets right in front of the Pharisees, calls him out on it. And he does it because Jesus is going out of his way to upset the Pharisees. And it works. You want to know how we know it works? Because the end of this passage, Mark 3, verse 6, says this, Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Herodians, fascinating here. I don't want to spend too much time on it. The Herodians were those who were kind of saying, Look, we've got to get with the times. We've got to get with the times. We've got we to just, when you're in Rome or when the Romans are taking you over, just become like the Romans. And for the Pharisees to talk with the Herodians was to show you just how much they saw Jesus as a threat to everything that they held dear. And so they go out and they're getting ready to kill Jesus. Jesus goes out of his way to upset them. Why? Why does Jesus want to upset the Pharisees? Why is he so frustrated with the Pharisees? Does he just not love Jesus loved them because he loves all of us. But you see, here's the problem. The Pharisees, and there's a little Pharisee in each and every one of us who's a follower of Jesus Christ. The Pharisees were destroying themselves and they were destroying the people around them. By their laws, by their rules, by the way they were living in their relationship with God. They were destroying the people around them. They were destroying themselves. They were keeping themselves from God's grace. And that's what frustrated Jesus. That's what Jesus says, this I will not tolerate. This I will not put up with. You see, what the Pharisees had done is they'd taken a good gift from God, the law. And and they'd messed it up. They started off good saying, God, we love your law, O Lord. We want to obey it. We want to be distinct. We want to be holy. We want to be separate. We want to be what you call us to be. You're going to try to raise Ingrid to be what God created her to be, to be obedient, right? But they took that and they twisted it and they messed it up. And, and, And let me just say a couple of things about that, all right? First of all, we need to recognize that from the very beginning, God intended the law to be a gift, God intended the law to be a gift. It was was to help us. 
It was not to test us. It was not to see whether we were serious about God or not. What it was was a way that we could live free. Again, this is so important. God gave us the law because he loved us. Not in order for us to get him to love us. That's where it's going to go wrong. See, the law God gave us was after he loved us was after he saved us, was after he redeemed us. Look at Exodus 20, all right? Verse 2. At three, we're gonna, verse 3, we're going to start the commandments. But in verse 2, what does God say? Look, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I am the one who saved you out of the land of slavery. I'm your redeemer, okay? And I did it before you obeyed me. I did it before you followed word one of my law because I haven't given them to you yet. And, and, and friends, this is where we get messed up. And this is where the Pharisees got messed up. Is it, it, they forgot that God's grace always comes first. That's why infant baptism is such a great picture. <laughs> because Ingrid hasn't done anything to earn God's promise. Yet God says, I love you. Because that's the way I am. God's grace always comes first. And then he tells us, how we can live in that freedom. His love is not in question. His redemption is not in question with the law. If it is, we're all dead. Because none of us can obey it. Because God loves us, he gave us the law. The law is there to protect us from ourselves, to protect us from going into the ditch, to protect us from damaging the people around us, and it's there to help us flourish. That's why God gave us the Ten Commandments. That's why God gives us other commandments. Because he wants us to live free. It's never intended to be a burden. It's never intended to be something that weighs down on us. The law was always intended to be a guide to freedom. Having been loved by God, having been saved for us by Jesus Christ, now we say, okay, God, how do I follow you? And the Pharisees messed that up. You see what the Pharisees did? They turned God's law into the basis of their relationship with God. They turned it basically into a scorecard. And what they said is not that because God loves us, he gave us his law. What they said is if we obey God's law, then he will love us. And once you've done that, you've lost everything. And it's so tempting for us to fall into that if we obey God, right? That's how the world works, right? And, and, and let's be honest about it. As parents, sometimes we teach our kids that when we discipline them, right? I love you because you're a good little boy, right? You're a good little girl. I love you. Well, God must be the same way. He loves me when I'm good, and he doesn't love me when I'm bad. I'm accepted because I'm good. When I perform, and this is what the, the Pharisees held on to, this is what they, and, and as Christians, so many of us can fall into that. If I perform, then God loves me. If I do it right, then God loves me. And, and, and that law becomes a scorecard. And, and when the law becomes a scorecard, it just destroys us. It just absolutely destroys us. There are several things that happen when we decide that, all right, I, I'm going to get my grade from God, and the, and the scorecard is the, the law. That's what I have to do. The first thing that happens is, and the Pharisees did this, but we become obsessed with the letter of the law. Right? We want to know the exact details. Tell me exactly what this means. You call me to love my neighbor. Well, who is my neighbor? How many houses down? How far? Is it a quarter mile? Is it a tenth of a mile? Is it a fifteenth of a mile? How close is my neighbor? Tell me who it is. I want to apologize to you teachers who are here because I was this kind of a student. But there are some students who go through school and and what they want to know is, basically, I looked at every teacher I had and I said, we're going to make a deal. 
You tell me what to memorize, and then I do it, and then you give me an A. And, and what I wanted to know is tell me exactly what I need to do. What page? I will do it, and I did. I worked my tail off because I was going to get that grade. I was going to get that A. And I worked my tail off memorizing whatever it is. But they had to be fair, right? They had to tell me. Tell me exactly what it was. And I tell you how many times teachers and professors didn't say to me, how about, Ron, you try to learn? (laughs) How about you don't just try to get a grade? How about you try to learn? And I did. But but it (laughs) it was about the scorecard. And that made me get very detailed about all the specifics. And that's what, that's what the Pharisees did, especially with the Sabbath. What exactly is working on the Sabbath? We need to know that and we need to define that so that we can make sure we get an A. So that we can make sure that we obey. How many steps can I take? They even, and this is actually still going on today, but they even had a way to determine how much heat can I apply to something without it being called cooking. See, cooking was working. Three, an oven at 350, that's working. But what if I just warm it up to, say, 110 degrees? It, it, I mean, they, they talked about these things. They had ways to check just how hard could you do it. Could I pick seven grains but not eight? I mean, how, they, they did this, and, and so do we. For some of us, our spirituality is, yeah. I mean, some of us remember growing up in homes. And, and you could go in the water on the Sabbath, but only up to your waist. Or you could go in the rowboat, but not in the speedboat, which seemed backwards to me. But, and, and we do it with our devotions. D- didn't you ever want to say, God, just tell me how many minutes a day I need to read the Bible to be a good person. Tell me how much I need to pray to be a good person. Okay, if I pray before every meal, if we read the Bible after every meal, God, I want to know what is it, where are the... And we have this insatiable desire to say, God, give me those details. Because what we're saying is, God, I'm going to get an A on this test. I'm going to make you love me. I am... and, and, And we get obsessed with the details and we major in the minors. Because they're easier. Pharisees were doing this. Again, they noticed who was picking green on the Sabbath. You can, you're going around. They're the moral police. They're, they're who's picking green on the Sabbath. Uh, we got to keep an eye on that. But they didn't notice people who need help. This guy's got a withered hand. If they had walked past somebody in a ditch, they would have said, are you going to die? Because it would be okay if the person was going to die to save them. No, you're not going to die. Okay, see you tomorrow. And they'd walk on. I, I mean, they missed the major points. And so often we do that, like I say in school. I got grades, but I missed a lot of education and a lot of learning because I was focused on the edges. And I missed the heart of it. They did that, and we do too. Our language is something we need to keep an eye on. But friends, why do we get so upset about a naughty word and not about people starving to death? Well, because it's easier. (laughs) Why do we get upset about the evil culture in that movie that they made? And and yet racism slides by. It's a little Pharisee in all of us. Because I just need to make sure I I get an A. Because the law is a scorecard. Not a guide to freedom. Not a guide to joy. 
And, and then we judge everybody, right? Pharisees were certainly busy doing that. Uh, it wasn't to help everybody else. The fact is, if it's a scorecard, I just want to make sure my grade is better than yours. I, honestly, I, I, I had tests that I had and took in seminary, and I had one that I got a 60 on. I knew I was okay because everybody else was like a 40. It was impossible. Dumbest test we ever took. But because I'm an idiot and had studied stupidly for it, I did better than anybody else. I'm not proud of that. Yes, I am. Uh, I'm such an idiot. See, because, yeah, I did do better than everybody else on that test. And we, we feel better about ourselves because others fail. And, and you know some of those people who do this, right? You, you know some of those people who say, yeah, we're not perfect, but at least we're better than those people. Pharisees did that. People in our day, yeah, well, we're not like them. Not like those oncers. Not like those people who do that. We're not like them. Those people frustrate me. And if they frustrate you, let me just tell you something. What we just said is that we're not perfect, but at least we're better than those people who think they're better than those people. Right? It's not just conservatives who are doing this. Liberals do this as well. Oh, at least I'm not like them because they're so judgmental. What? And I stand in judgment on them. Because I believe in grace and there, and I got it right, and I'm God right. You and I are on the same wavelength, not them. Not the people at that church over there. They're legalists. <laughs> oh, you want to talk to me about judging? Why didn't? The fact is, the gospel teaches us that we're all failures. Whether we fail on the right or we fail on the left, we fail. <laughs> None of us can stand on our own two feet. None of us can do well on God's scorecard. None of us can get it right. Some of us are convinced that we are so right on all these things because we're not those parents that we had. You're not right either. We are all failures, and we only stand by God's grace. The heart of it, what's frustrating is we miss the heart of the purpose of the law. Back to the story. Uh, Mark 2.25, again, Jesus is there. The disciples are picking grain. We, we zoom in a little bit. And, and Jesus answered. They just said, why do they do this? Jesus said, let me tell you something. You've lost the heart of the law. You want to know why they do this? Because the law is not there just to see if, God, if we love God enough. Jesus answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? These are guys who knew the scriptures. Have you read this part? <laughs> huh? Huh? You remember this one? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, David entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread. This isn't a Sabbath thing, but it's a holy thing, which is lawfully on, lawful only for the priests to eat. Jesus went, uh, David went in and he was hungry. And he took this bread that was only the priests can touch it, and he ate it. And in case you're thinking, well, David was special, he gave it to his companions. David had a need, and this bread was to be holy and, and dedicated, reminded of holiness. David wasn't denying that. David wasn't saying, I'm as good as any. He was just saying, I got this need, and we have to keep going, and he met that need. And then Jesus says these really important words. He says, the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. The rules were made for you, not you for the rules. 
God didn't give us the Sabbath to test our obedience. That's what happens. We, we end up saying, oh, I do this. Why? Because God told me, and he wants to just see whether I love him or not. No, God gave us the Sabbath so we could be restored and renewed. We miss the heart and the purpose of the law, and most importantly, we miss God's grace. Because we're thinking we can pass this test. We're thinking that we can pass this test. Other than phys ed, that's just a ridiculous class. I could. 3.96 at Calvin. It's just a couple of A minuses, and I hate those profs. To this, no. We fall into this trap. Please, no, I'm not, I'm telling you how sick I am, okay? This is, but we do this with God. You say, I can do this. Whenever, and we'll wrap this up soon here, whenever we make the law the basis of our relationship with God, we are in big trouble. That's why Jesus wants to get our faith. Don't do that. Because you put yourself in an impossible situation. We either will lie to ourselves about how well we're doing. That's what the Pharisees did. So I'm better than them, so I'm doing okay. Or we'll become depressed and angry because we know we're failing. When we turn the law into a scorecard, then we end up depressed and angry or lying to ourselves. Those are the only options. And Jesus says, no, I came for something different. We will spend our lives trying to climb a hill we can never climb and we will never be able to rest. The good news, the gospel this morning, friends, is this, that Jesus came to give us rest. Jesus came to give us a true Sabbath. Jesus came to say to us, you can't do it, but you were never intended to. That's not why God gave you the law. And so come and experience his grace. Again, Mark 2, 27, then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then he says these words, so, and the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says, guess what I'm here for? I'm here to be the Lord of Sabbath. I'm the Lord of rest. And, and I imagine him just looking at those Pharisees and saying, guys, you are running around trying to attain something you can never attain. You're trying to climb a mountain you can never climb. But I am the one who can give you rest. And Jesus says to them, stop trying to be good enough. Stop those games. Stop it. Admit you can't. And then Jesus says, come to me, and I will give you rest. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, those are the words right before these two stories. Jesus says, I'm here to give you rest. Stop playing that game. Experience God's grace. And when we do that, and we start to live in that, we say, God, help me to be in freedom. And then then we actually start to be not conformed, but transformed, as Paul says, by the renewal of our minds. And so this is Jesus speaking to us this morning. Stop. Stop trying to be good enough. Okay. Get those voices out of your head that are saying you got to do X, Y, Z. Say, no, I am loved. You can't do it. Confess your sins. Come to Jesus and get rest. Friends, that's the gospel. 
That's what Jesus wants for us. So how do we take it home? Again, we've got some sheets here. They're by the doors. You can pick them up on the way out. They've got some reflection questions. They've got a Lenten exercise. Try to let those guide you during this week. Try to let those things bring this down home into to your own life. But as we close, just know this, that, that we pray, God, forgive us for turning your law into a scorecard and give us true rest. Let's pray together. Father, it starts off good because you call us to be holy. You call us to be separate, and we want to be that. Father, you give us your word to help us be that. Forgive us for when we've turned that into a scorecard. Forgive us for those times when we've said, we can earn your love, we can get the A, we can do all of that. Father, remind us that you love us simply because you love us. And you offer us grace when we admit that we can't. And you forgive us when we know that we're dead. And you bring us to new life when we know that we're dead. And Father, give us rest. Help us to rest in your love so that we can then walk in your way. Help us to know that you want us to flourish. And you tell us where we go in the ditches. So teach us, Lord, not to be afraid of you, but to know your amazing grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.